Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to get the microphone going. And God, we pray your will be done this morning. Thank you for the time that you have spent with us in worship. You absorb when our hearts long in worship for you. You absorb it all. You love it. You indwell it. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is here. I ask, Father, that you fill my mouth with your words. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to do your will, none of my own, none of any of ours for that matter. We sit at your feet desiring to hear from you, to know from you how it is that you want us to move and seek. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you guys that you've probably heard. I would imagine almost everybody in here has heard and has even asked themselves. And yet, the answer is a tricky one. Why am I here? Why are you here? And I don't mean why are you here in this living room at Ignition. Why do we exist? Why did God create us? Why was even humankind created in the first place? He had the angels. Clearly, even before the angels were created, God always existed before. He never had a beginning, never will have an end, so he was living in the satisfaction of who he is. So why did he create us? What was the purpose of that? The easy answer is love. And yet it's a really difficult answer as well because you look in this world today and it's hard to see love. It's hard to find love in his creation. It's hard to recognize this world as love. Right? We can maybe see it in aspects of our life. But I'm talking about as a whole, as creation. God sees us individually, but he created us as a whole. So what does that mean? What does that mean as to why am I here? When somebody were to ask you, why are you here? Why am I here? What answer do we have? Can we take them into scripture and explain why? Because, see, the scripture does explain why, and we're going to lay it out this morning in a way you've probably never heard before. An aspect as to why we were created that mankind has not gotten yet. There have been elements of trying, but to this day, we've not gotten it yet as a whole. I want to put a thought in your mind. We've all heard this as well, that we're created in his image. We're created in his likeness. And, and that can run a whole gambit of things in our minds. Well, God must have two arms, two legs. 
<laughs> you know, hair, face. No, it's not what that verse means. Well, maybe it's that we have a soul. That's a, that's a huge one. That's a popular one. We have a soul. So maybe, maybe we're created in his image because we're each given a soul. Most people don't understand what a soul is because that's not true either. We're not the only part of creation that has a soul. Because, see, we, th- we confuse sometimes the soul with the spirit, and we confuse sometimes the soul with that which is redeemable. It's not the case. Study your Bible. Animals have souls. Because a soul is free will. A, ch- a soul is choice. So it's not that. Because we're not the only ones with free choice. And in fact, angels were created with free choice. We saw that because we saw Lucifer fall and a third go with him by choice. They weren't forced to. They did by choice. So it's not that. So what could it be? What does it mean to be made in his image? But let's, you know, let's look at it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, where he announces this fact. Now, chapter 1 talks about creation. He's in the middle of, of creation here. He's going into the fourth day. Um, no, let's, let's go further. Sorry. Talk about the sixth day. I'm not going to go over all the other stuff. He he started life on the fourth day, you know, with plants, stuff like that. He he went into on the fifth day and then on the sixth day. Let's go down to verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likenesses. By the way, I'm going to throw this out because I know the Lord's going to have me talking about this someday. Uh, he, he's had me in this study for for quite a while. And that phrase, in our image, there's so many more layers of what that is than what we're even going to talk about today. But where he says, let us make man. It's not just talking about the Trinity there. You have to understand, first of all, the Trinity is not a Old Testament idea. That's why Jews have trouble with it today. They believed in a dual God. If you look at ancient texts, the ancient rabbis, they believed in a dual God, they believed in Yahweh, and then they believed in the manifestation of Yahweh, up until Jesus literally manifested as the Messiah. And then about 200 AD, that changed in their history. But let us make man in our image, after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens 
and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. By the way, that's proof right there that there are creeps on the earth. Okay, if you ever wanted to have biblical proof, there you go. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens. And to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. By the way, that can tend to be a sad statement for those who really like steak. I'm not sure how to quantify that one biblically in my mind. Maybe, maybe they had plants that tasted like, like steak. I, I don't know. But he had given them everything. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Not just looking at mankind, but looking at the entirety of creation, the entirety of this world and everything in it. Right? From the world to the plants, to the animals, to mankind. He said it was very good, and there was an evening in the morning, and that was the sixth day. That was the end of creation. Then God rested, and we won't get into that. But he said it was very good. I find that interesting. As I've been studying over the last few weeks, that thought there is really interesting. Because in the Hebrew, you would think that it would be a different word if it was final, if it was complete. It's not what that word means. It means it was complete up to the point of what he had created it to be. But it was not perfect. That might throw you a little bit. Not in the sense that God did not create something how he intended it, but he created it incomplete. Let's go back. God said in verse 28, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. What does that mean? To subdue means to conquer. To subdue means to take control. To lord over. To manage. God did not create us where that was already done. Where the earth was already subdued. He could have. He could have created millions of Adam and Eves and put them all over the earth and subdued the earth that way. Right? They were in the Garden of Eden at this point. They were occupying a very small portion of God's creation. They weren't all over God started with just the two. 
like he does in every single, just about every single movement that he has done in history. He starts with one or two or a few. But he had a charge for them. He said, I have created you because I intend for you to multiply to multiply yourself, I will multiply, multiply my creation through you for the purpose of subduing the earth. That is why we are made in his image. That's why we are given his likeness. Because there was an authority, be give, an authority given at the beginning to understand that we are supposed to do something for God. We were supposed to subdue the earth. To take control of the earth. Now, you gotta, you got to know, God knew all this. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that Eve would be deceived. He knew that Adam, by choice, would sin. He knew that mankind would fall. He knew that there would rise up opposition in terms of finding pride in Lucifer's heart. He knew that. He knew that he would take a third of him. Why? Because God is outside of time. God knows the beginning from the end. God knows the bookends and everything in between. He knows it all. By the way, he, he experiences it all Always. Because it is not happening in time for him. Think about it more in category. In placement. God is outside of all that. He created us to be his imagers. To literally, literally take on his likeness. To do his will. To do his work. Ultimately, because, why? Because he needed us to. Could God not have created the earth already subdued? No, of course he could have. Could, could God not have already created cities and, and worship centers and all this, all functioning properly? Absolutely he could. But as Brooke said during worship, God is a God of process. Why? Because of love. Because love is a process. Falling in love with Jesus Christ is a process. It is not a single decision that then is complete. It starts with a single decision. It starts with, Jesus, I recognize who you are. And by faith I believe that you are the Son of God coming into this world. Becoming a man, living a perfect life, giving your life on the cross. Three days later, rising from the dead because you could not be held by death. And now sitting at the right hand of the Father. When we believe that and we accept him into our heart, that's not the end, guys. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of God's process of us loving him. His process for us is complete. He loved us with a perfect love long before creation ever came about. His love has never been in question. The process is for us. The process is for us to 
learn who he is. And through that process, giving our yes each time, each time he says, step out in faith and believe. And when we do, it takes our love to a new level. It takes our faith to a new level. But what happens when we don't? We all know when we don't, those are the plateaus. Those are the stagnant times. When we take control upon ourselves to try to handle something or try to do something, that's what happens in the process of learning how to love him. But it's extraordinary that he created us as his imagers to develop this idea of love. See, God is love. Right? That's who he is. Until it is manifest in us, in his creation, there is no manifestation of that love. That's why we were created. Hebrews talks about the, the angels being created as servants. There are angels around the throne of God that just say, holy, holy, holy. Literally proclaim His holiness all the time. That worship Him. But the extraordinary thing is they don't have the capability of love that we do. They have the choice. They don't have the capability of love because they don't have the capability of faith. They live in a world that they can see the truth. They were created by God to see the truth. We were created to live by faith. To accept by faith. Even with Adam who did get to see God, he and Eve, got to walk with him in the cool of the day. They were still expected to live by faith because they said of the entire garden, you can eat except this one thing. See, that wasn't just a stay away from this because your whole life is going to change. It's going to be this horrible thing. Man, if, if God was so worried about that, he could have put a wall up around it. He could have not let them have access to it. So why? Why? Knowing what would happen, why would he do that? Because that option had to be there for it to be love and for it to be faith. It's not faith when you're forced to do something. You do it because you're forced to do it. It's faith when it's a choice. Where are we at with some of those choices? I know in many ways we're being stretched. But in many ways, even people sitting here, we look at it like, I'm just waiting. Just waiting for you to do what you said you're going to do, God. I'm just waiting 
when literally God places before them opportunities that they miss. Opportunities to walk in that faith, to walk in that yes. Well, yeah, but maybe we don't see it as the opportunity because it's, it's not what God promised. You know, God promised this right here. And what we don't realize is this right here is made up a whole, of a whole bunch of these to build up to it. These choices that we give our yes for and we stand in faith for, sometimes things we don't want to do. Sometimes things that, why does anybody need to do them? Sometimes it's choices that he has us do because nobody else will. But still, we are called to move forward in his likeness. We are literally his imagers. So that puts a real interesting weight on our shoulders. And, and not, not just us here in a church. Literally all of creation, all of God's creation are born with this weight on their shoulders of being an imager of God. Whether they accept it or not, whether they receive it or not, the weight is there. The expectation is there because we were made for that purpose. You ever notice how, how frustrating it must be for the Lord and except for the fact that he's out of time and he, he knows what's coming, he knew, knew what was coming. But imagine how the very first thing that mankind was told to do, he to this day, almost 6,000 years later, has not done it. I mean, we've replenished. <laughs> we've filled the earth. We haven't subdued it. We have not subdued it for God. No, in fact, the enemy has. See, right away, the enemy saw the plan of God, stepped into that place to alter it. And isn't that what he does in our own lives? He steps in and he tries to alter the plans that God has for you in your life. And we let him. This world has let him. Right? I mean, what did God tell us to do? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Subdue it for him. Manage it for him. If you look at the world now, you can only assume that it has been managed very well for the enemy. Now, I don't know about you, if you're a glasses half full or glasses half empty type person, I look at this and I get excited. Because, see, to me, this was confirmation of Revelation 3, verse 9. This was confirmation of what God's doing. This was confirmation that this will happen. That the earth will be subdued for God. That it will come under his control. And we know that and believe that by the word of God because he says it. It is going to come under his control. By and through his imagers. 
those who carry the image of God and portray him how he is to be portrayed. Now again, Satan got wind of this, and every time he attempts to thwart it, when he sees the plan of God, when he sees it in your own life, certainly as he saw it in creation, as he sees it in each one of our lives. But that's where God makes the difference, all the difference. Because think about what happened. Think about what happened. Mankind literally fell away from this first and only objective to subdue the earth, to manage the earth. We've fallen short of that the entire time. And then God, who already knew what was going to happen, decided, okay, I will give my life. I will become a man and give my life. That's where Jesus comes on the scene, born of a virgin, living a perfect life because he takes that what has now become impossible for mankind because mankind has literally been taken so far off track and he places them back on track in a single life, in his life that is perfect. You know, I want you to go, let's look at Jesus. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, I'm just going to begin at verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, now recognize that statement there is huge. And, and some of these things I really encourage you to go dig into later. Go really pull them apart and understand what's going on because you've got two statements there. One, in his life as a man, and two, before that, as he has always been God. This is God the Son. This is not the Father. Separate from the Father, this is where we get the idea of the Trinity, right? In the, in the New Testament. This is saying, in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. That's an extraordinary statement because he was not appointed heir of all things until he became a man. Until he lived that perfect life and gave his life on the cross. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There's some extraordinary things stated right there. Right? It says, having become as much 
superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This was not something given to him before his birth. This was something he attained during his life. That he was given. That's why the proclamation where the Father said, in the, I believe in the Mount of Transfiguration, where he said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That's taken from the Psalms. I can't remember which Psalm, where, where he prophesied that today you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. That's where that's taken from. See, Jesus had to go through the same things that we do in this life and conquer them and subdue the enemy that he was put in charge to subdue. He took care of the biggest one, guys. What did he subdue? What did he take care of? Death. He ended death. He literally sanctified the choice that we have for life. We can choose life. But it's something that he had to attain. It was something that he had to go through all the ramifications of proving it out, just like it said, having become as much superior to the angels. See, mankind is created a little lower than the angels. So imagine Jesus as the Son of God, inserting himself into his own creation, as God making himself a little lower than the angels. See, if you believe that Jesus came here as God and lived as God and did all the things that he did as God, you miss the entire point of Jesus having to learn obedience, having to literally learn faith, having to learn the very things that we have to learn so we can have someone to follow See, in that process, God reopened the door. He reopened the door for the earth to be subdued. Man, I, I hope in this audience here, I hope the warriors are starting to see in their mind what's going on. This is a call to battle. I know he died 2,000 years ago on the cross. I don't understand why it's taken us this long to understand what our calling is. Our calling is not to just put up with this world, try and live through it, be a good person, and when I die, I get a mansion. Ugh. That's ridiculous. I mean, we do get mansions. That's awesome. Say, so I go to prepare a place for you. I find it interesting that Jesus was a carpenter, right? He was a builder. Cool. That's not why we're here, though. That's not why we're here. We're not just here to 
put up with things. We're not just here to watch this nation, this world, go down the toilet. Go down in ways that affect God's heart to the core. Do you know, I find this interesting. We talk about the curse, right? When Adam fell. We talk about the curse, and, and in reality, man is not cursed. Said the ground was cursed, right? Said the serpent was cursed. Man was never cursed. Man had to live out what he deserved. He said, you know all that work that you've been doing? You're out there just trimming back all the beautiful trees and everything. Well, now you're going to have to do it by a lot of work. It's not going to come so easy now. Why? Because the earth is cursed. The earth is cursed. Now you're going to get thorns. Now you're going to get... This. Now you're, you're not going to get the rain maybe that you need. You're going to have to deal with different problems because of this choice. He never cursed man. Do you know why? Because the greatest sin that offends God is replacing God. If that weren't the case, then David never should have stayed on the throne. Because David, in our world, did the most egregious sin with Uriah and Bathsheba. He not only only was in adultery with Bathsheba, but he literally killed her husband. And it was all planned out. It wasn't like he hadn't planned it and just kind of reacted. No, he had planned it. He planned it out, and even when it... When it happened, he tried to cover it up. Man, in the United States, what would we do to somebody like that? I don't know, probably put him in office, I suppose. (laughs) Sorry for that one. (laughs) Couldn't resist that one. (laughs) My bad. Rewind. But what did God do? God knew his heart. God knew his heart. And he went after him to show him his own sin because he knew how David would react to it. And he was. He was repentive because he loved the Lord. He recognized what he did. He didn't hold anything back. He apologized. He put it out there. And God used that and continued him on his path of subduing his portion. But see, what turns God away is when we believe other gods instead of him. And I'll tell you, in this world, we really push that aside as Christians. Well, yeah, but that isn't really, that doesn't like happen today. You know, I didn't, carve up this carving and this Ashtoreth pole and just, you know, worship Ashtoreth. You know, I didn't, didn't carve up a little, a little Baal statue. You know, some do. Boy, Baal looks a lot fatter than he used to. 
Right? Some do. Some do that. Some worship specifically other gods. But, you know, not, not Christianity. We worship God. But we live in this world and we just kind of have to move through this world. Do you understand that over you is a covering whether you like it or not? You live in a country that makes choices for you. Now you have the choice. You certainly move. Right? They say that all the time. Well, if you don't like it here, you just move. And it's funny how when we say that back, they they don't do that either. You know what? We're not going to move either. I choose to stay and fight. Because, see, it's not theirs. God was the one that ordained it from the beginning. It is His. And if you want to go back far enough, God created the entire thing. So it's His. His name is written all over it. His name is written over the entire world. And it is time for His children to listen to what He said in Genesis 1 and subdue it. To take it. Now, it doesn't mean we do this in our own strength. Thank God we don't have to do it in our own strength. Amen. <laughs> we wouldn't get very far. <laughs> but we can do it in His strength. And what that means is as He builds this group of people that just say, yes, I am willing to stand on the battlefield. I am willing to step out for you because you have asked me to. I am willing to give you my yes. I am not willing to live under this oppression that forces me to not recognize you as God. That's what's going on in this nation. This nation is forcing you to, out of your mouth, declare there is no God. Now, that doesn't make sense to us. At our level, because no, they can't force me to say I don't believe in Jesus. You just wait. You just wait because they're going to try. That's the direction that it goes. Look at all of history. That's the direction that control goes. When man takes control into his own hands instead of God's, that's how it goes. Why? Because they're under control of something other than themselves. Don't don't be confused that this is a three-way street. It's God or Satan or just kind of myself. I'm just going to kind of be myself. You know, not going to necessarily follow Satan. You know, I'm I'm, going to be my own person. No such thing. See, because we were created a little lower than the angels. There is not a choice in that. That's why Jesus was then made higher than them. As God, He became our Messiah. That we can follow, that then gives us authority. Gives us authority. In Him to do what He wants us to do. But don't be confused that you are an island to yourself. No such thing. It doesn't happen. You are a part of something. When you live in this land, you are subject to the laws of this land. And look what they're doing. 
just this last week, this announcement of packing the court. If that isn't obvious to you, then you're blind. If that isn't obvious to the church, then you're blind. Why are they doing it? They're doing it. They've even said why they're doing it. If you listen to the announcement, this is all about abortion. This is all about the LGBTQ rights. It's all about all of that. Because they don't want it taken away. It's funny how when we cried that, it didn't matter. Or we cried, we don't want that in place. What happened to a democracy? What happened to led by the people? That's not the land we live in. This land is not led by the people. Do you understand that? You get into the technical aspects of that and everything else, but I want you to understand this land has been led by the enemy. It's been led by Satan. Satan's the one that absorbs those sacrifices. And we live under that. When we're complacent as a church, then we get what we deserve. But that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be his imagers. We're called to be in his army. And when we stand up in that image, he fills us with power to move forward in a way we cannot move forward ourselves. There is an army rising up. You know, the tagline that's part of our logo. It's not just us. It is a remnant that is rising up. This army that is rising up all over the world that will say yes to him, recognizing that they are an imager of Yahweh, of the Father, and that they have a responsibility in that imaging to steward what he has given them. Each of us is responsible to steward that image. And what that means is coming together and fighting that which is wrong. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. God has had me for the last, I don't know how many months it's been, six months or so, in this study of like the history of how Satan moves. Uh, uh, technically I'll call him Lucifer. How he moves, how he infiltrates, how he steals, how he influences people groups. And going back to the beginning after the flood, because really you had the beginning, but then you had a new beginning after the flood. If you go back to that, and you really begin to understand his technique of how he deceives. You know, he doesn't work alone. We know that. He took a third of the angels with him. He has armies of angels. Not only that, but he has armies of demons. Demons are different than angels, and I'm not going to get into that either. The point is, he goes after 
the influence of a community. He goes after the understanding of a community. Why? Because he knows in unity there's power. In his own unity there's power. There's power in unity against God just as there is unity, there's power in unity for God. The difference is the power is not the same. There's no comparison. But if you don't believe me, go look, and we won't turn there. I'll just mention it. Look at the Tower of Babel. Why did God confuse their language? It's said in there that the entire earth spoke the same, same language, or the known earth at that time. Right? And this, this was shortly after, this was not long after the, the flood. A few hundred years. I want to say maybe four or five hundred years. And that's just off the top of my head. They all spoke the same language, but what were they doing? They were building a tower. They were in unity together. They were being led by Satan's forces to do this. And you know this by looking at their goal. What was their goal? It says it right there in Genesis 11. Their, their goal was to have for themselves a name. They didn't want to be under the name of God. They wanted to have their own name. This is Satan producing in them the desire, the very desire that got him in trouble in the first place. To be seen as God. To be worshipped as God. And it's extraordinary. Then at that time God said, we will confound their language. We will drive them apart. But it's not just about that. Oh, let's confuse them so they're not unified anymore. Something much bigger happened. God literally gave, you see it in Deuteronomy, and again, we'll get into this study soon. But God gave the nations away. He literally gave, it says in, in Genesis 11, He gave them what they deserve. He gave them their inheritance. What was their inheritance? Satanic leadership. Their inheritance was satanic leadership. They were spread all over the globe. <coughs> That's why you see about that time, within the next few hundred years, you see Chinese history, you know, proven history, written history, the first time we see it. The first time you see Mayan history. I mean, literally on the other side of the globe. There's other pieces that start to fashion themselves from that breaking apart, from that history where God literally said, okay, turn from me and unify. Here's what you deserve. I give it to you now. You are, on, you are under demonic leadership. Not human leadership. The leadership in the realm in which God is in. Write that. One where Satan was sent and given the status of prince and power of the air. 
So out of that, he gave the nations away. And then what did he do? I want to say maybe 200 years later. He plucked for himself an ember from the fire. And said, from you, I will develop my own nation. My own children. And that was Abraham. What's extraordinary is to go back to the time of Abraham. To what was going on in the world. We hear about Baal or Baal. Right? And Baal worship. And, and who is Baal? I even asked the Lord that one time. Who is Baal? This, this whole thing doesn't make sense to me. Because Baal isn't like a single... Is it a single, single person? Is it Satan? Is it a group of them? And his answer to me was really not helpful at all. He said, hmm... That's a really interesting question. (laughs) Thank you. But you know what is interesting when you go back and you start to research it? See, back about the time of Abraham, there was a group of people in Mesopotamia, which is where the Tower of Babel and all this stuff occurred. The oldest civilization known that we have evidence of is Mesopotamia. And there was a group called Ugarit that was very close to Israel. In fact, their language is very similar, not exact, very similar to Hebrew. And they were proportioned right where Abraham was. He was literally taken out of this area, this area of Ugarit. And if you, if you look at, uh, there, there is a, there, I, I want to say it was back in the 1920s, when they actually found this, these scrolls, these, these parchments, these pieces from Ugarit. And it's very similar to the Bible, to, to the ancient Bible, to, to the, uh, the first five books, the Torah and all, all of that, and, and some of the uh, explanation of the flood, explanation of creation. It's interesting how, how they have a supreme God, just like the Jews said Yahweh is the supreme God. That is God the Father. That is who we know of as God the Father. They call him El. And then there was this Baal person who was under El but ruled everything else. This was the influence at the time. At the time where from the Tower of Babel everything was literally taken over by Satan and his forces. And God said, okay, we're going to split them up. Because if we don't, there won't be anything to stop them. We'll split them up, give the inheritance to the nations, and then I will pull out of that my own inheritance. So, Look through this. Look what God is doing. So he he establishes for himself a nation. Right? Are you guys following what I'm saying? He establishes for himself a nation that he begins to work with that in turn denies him over and over again. Over and over they do the one thing that God will not allow will not put up with. And that is to worship other gods and say they are equal to Yahweh. 
He won't allow that. And so, as that started to happen, God, of course, knew all this. It was already planned. That there would be a Redeemer that comes from His children. That then, from the redemption, through His Son, it opened it up to all the nations. Guess what, guys? The Bible teaches that God is going to take the nations back. The nations that He gave away at the Tower of Babel. He is going to reclaim. He is going to take back. He is going to take the land back. People have a choice. The land didn't have a choice. It was cursed. That kind of really stinks for the land. You know, if you're, no wonder the rocks groan and cry out. They didn't have a choice in any of this. They just had to be affected by our choice. But God is going to take it back. He is going to redeem even those things. He wanted to do it. It was available to be done 2,000 years ago. Because Jesus said it's finished. His portion. It was paid for. It was complete. It was final. But from the inception of the church, the church has been more worried about their own growth, their own living, worried about themselves more than unifying together. It happened right at the beginning. I mean, it's extraordinary. And God always takes one person to start the movement and to move it forward. What did he do? He, he brings Paul on as an apostle. And he said, you go talk to the Gentiles. Paul said that he was blown away that God allowed him to be in charge of setting, of speaking out that mystery that nobody else knew. This mystery of the bride, this mystery of the church. But right away, Satan got in there and started to wreak havoc through jealousy, through the very thing that caused Satan's fall in the first place. Do you know that? Satan fell because he was jealous of us. He was jealous of Adam. See, Satan was part of God's counsel. Adam and Eve were created to become part of God's counsel. Satan didn't like that. Or Lucifer didn't like that. Pride was found in his heart. But when... God opened it up for all the nations. It opened up an opportunity. That's why Satan wanted to shut it down. That's why there was the disagreement between the Jewish sect and the Gentile sect. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, you guys got to be circumcised. You got to this. You got to that. Paul said, "What? Why, why are you putting the burdens on them that we couldn't even bear? And it became turmoil between them right away. Now the beauty is, 
Paul confronted that. He confronted Peter. And thankfully, Peter changed and admitted. And, but what damage did that do? How did that carry on? Satan was able to divide the church almost immediately. Why? Why are we divided? Why is the church divided? Because, because I believe that he can actually talk to us and somebody else may not? doesn't change the fact that we both have the same responsibility of being God's imager. See, we have a responsibility to unite. The entire church has a responsibility to unite. To get beyond the stupid little petty differences that exist right now. Because he needs us to be his imager. He needs us, through us, to subdue the earth for him. To take back the nations. I don't know about you. I look at that very literally. Because that's how the Bible lays it out. This is a literal thing. Not, not that, oh, in the spirit, we're going to take back all the nations. No, guess what? In the spirit, we already have. In the spirit, it was done when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's literally what he went down for those three days to tell them. To tell the angels that had sinned in Genesis 6. Almost like going down there and going, nah, 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 nah. See? Told you. You will not put down Yahweh. You will not put down his plan. You have been defeated it's done. That's what Peter tells us. Literally that he went down to tell them about it. I'm pretty sure they probably would have known. Maybe not. I don't know. They're locked in some area that's different than all the other areas for a future purpose. But So maybe he just wanted to make sure that they knew. So see, it was available right away. It was available 2,000 years ago. It's available now to subdue this earth. You hold the image of God. You were created in his image for the purpose of stewarding, stewarding that image to do what he wants us to do. I call on the church. I call on the church to be an army rising up. Rise up in unity together. It doesn't, it's not, it's not about picking up some weapon. It's not about some physical warfare. That may come. That will come in this world. It's not about that. It's about unity together and God flowing through that unity. That's what happened at Jericho. See, they didn't pick up a sword until God had already done his part. He said, I'll, I'll break down all the walls. I'll do my part to make them completely defenseless. Then you go in and do your part. But for my part, I have a requirement. You're to be in unity. You're to be together. You're to be worshiping. You're to be obedient as to what I say. Even if it doesn't make sense. 
What sense does it make to walk around the city quiet? You know, that, that, I mean, okay, maybe walk around the city threatening. How's that? No, he didn't even allow him to do that. You walk around the city focused on him, quiet, until I tell you to shout. That's what he wants his bride to do right now. Unite together. Be this army rising up. Trust him. Learn what he is teaching you. Be a part of something that stands against the foe. A voice that stands against it. Not one that just believes it and stays silent. That's what's gotten us into trouble this entire time. No, stand up. And by the way, this isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for ministry leaders. Because if you take a pastor's voice and compare it to all the conversations that a congregation has throughout the week, there's no comparison. In your conversations during the week, you hold the responsibility of being an imager of God. When you're at work, when you're talking with people that either don't understand, or for that matter, maybe they understand and they hate you for it, doesn't change your responsibility. Well, you know, I don't want to be harsh. Out of love, I'm just going to kind of just kind of pull within myself and and try and get through it because I need the job. Where's our faith? Stand up for what you believe. The job comes from the Father, not from anyone else. The provision comes from Him. You are stewarding His image. Understand the gravity of that. You are not your own. The Bible says you were bought with a price. That price was the life of his son. You're responsible to steward that image. And as it's getting harder to do that in the United States, all over the world probably, it's getting more important. Where's the church's voice? Not from the pulpit. I mean, where's that too? But, but from the congregation. How about a congregation speaking up when their own leadership will not? Try that one out. You're going to see that here in the United States. Churches are going to dismantle and fall apart because of the leadership that they have. Will the congregation rise up? Will they believe? Will they trust? Will they recognize their own responsibility as imagers? We have to. Because the time to subdue the earth is now. It's not waiting until we're in heaven somewhere and God will just send all his armies to go do it. He's going to do it through his people, through his imagers. Lex, come on up.
this is really deep, really heavy message today, and I, I do hope you'll listen to it again. Um, I want to clarify something that I know that Greg meant in terms of sometimes people taking sound bites, um, our listeners uh, beyond uh, the in-person attendance, and say that it wasn't the Mount of Trans- Transfer, um, Transformation, it was, uh, it was his baptism when the Father said, uh, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But also, when he said, as God, Jesus did not operate as God, what he's saying, as, is in the power of. I just want to be certain that, um, that everybody knows that, that Jesus was always God. He just limited himself by choice and did not operate in the power of God here on this earth. And, um, man, this is really profound and heavy and exciting what was talked about. And I know my head was blowing, and, and we didn't even have certain things that he said was similar to what we said with the, with the ladies this morning. We had no conversations about it at all, which is always exciting, because that means the Holy Spirit is, is in sync with some of the things that he wants to say. But Jesus, you know, we know in John says he's the, the way, the truth, and the life. And just remember that there's a difference between truth, what is true, and truth. Truth is as a person. Truth is a person of Jesus Christ. So it may be true that you are struggling. It may be true that you are going through a difficult time. But the truth of Jesus is that he is within you. And when, as we confess him, like we did in worship this morning, you know, when we, in the name of Jesus, there is power. That song, in the name, in the name, in the name of Jesus. I love that song. That being confessed allows the truth within us to then work its way out and take the authority that he's given us in the territory we're supposed to take. We, um, we have tremendous power, and, and I, I'm finding more, and I'm finding out as I have conversations with believers um, in different places, this the, the real nitty-gritty lack of understanding of the authority that we carry. I think that's really at the root cause of why we're in the situation that we are in in this nation. Um, I had a conversation briefly with, um, a, the woman was not saved, but her husband is. And so, and I'm going to, this gets to be controversial. Um, these are the types of things that can get you shut down real quick on different Facebook and YouTube accounts, but I'm going to say it. Um, she had just gotten the vaccine, and she had been convincing her husband to do so, and he didn't want to. And she's not a believer, but it was interesting that her reasoning was, I keep trying to convince him to do it because, you know, I mean, it's just better because it's going to get to the point where you have to have it in order to go to the grocery store and to do these things. Like, she could see these things are coming. And, and I thought, you know, as a believer... He is going to need to decide, what does the Lord want me to do? And I'm not going to give judgment either way um, uh, on where the Lord directs, but I'll tell you what, be very, very careful to do what the Lord is saying and see the agenda that's being pushed. Because if, if there is a self-preservation first among believers, we will go along to get along. And you're going to find yourself even more uh, under the bondage of, of the ruling that's over you, like Greg said, this, this agenda that, that whenever you speak truth to it, you're called a conspiracy theorist and all these kinds of things. 
um, in terms of what's really going on. And yet the greatest, I said this downstairs, the conspiracy theorist is Satan. I mean, he's the greatest conspirator that there is as the prince of the power of this air. And there is an agenda to push, to to basically keep people in chains if they want to live their lives uh, in a comfortable way. And more and more believers are succumbing to the pressure that, well, I mean, what do you expect me to do? I mean, I've got to eat. I've got to work. And yet, to me, it was one of the first things that, that Greg mentioned in the message, which is that we were put here for faith. We were put here to believe for a kingdom Matthew 6.33, we were here, we're here to believe for a kingdom that we cannot see, walking by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That is, and it's a short time. We're only here for a short time to gain the rewards, to please God, because without faith it's impossible to please him. And so if we're not careful, we're going to only lean on our own understanding and give authority after authority after authority to the enemy. Because self-preservation is first. Well, I have to. I mean, I have to work. So, I mean, I have to cooperate with this bully, demonic um, agenda coming against me. Because how can I not go to the grocery store unless I do X, Y, Z? How can I not do this? Guess what? All things are possible for those who believe. Does God ever, will he ever buy the excuse when we stand before him? Well, God, I mean, I had to. I had to sin. I had to, you know, I had to do this, you know. I, 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 I mean, you understand. You know, you understand that I got lonely and there was this guy in the grocery store. And, I mean, you know, he was meeting my needs and my husband wasn't. I mean, that might be an extreme example, but people do it every single day. And there's deception on us now that says compliance with a, a demon ruling is actually a godly thing. Well, but it's it's you know we're just we're gonna do the right thing we're just gonna we're just gonna be sheep and obey. What does the Lord say? I just I guess it struck me so much. An army rising up is one who will say, as the Lord said, there shall be no other gods before me. Have you ever thought what is the agenda of what's happening in our nation and the oppressive rules that are changing every single day? What is the agenda of why I'm supposed to? You know, where I get, I'm allowed to decide how to self-identify. I'm not allowed to do that. I'm, I'm to accept how Jesus, my, how God, my creator, made me. That's what I'm in agreement with. So I think um, this, whole, uh, this whole message, it's so deep and it's so, uh, the Bible is so profoundly simplistic and yet deep and complex, too. Um, just like the gospel. The gospel is very deep, but it's very simple. And... The Lord wants us to get it. He doesn't want us in error. And, and the last thing I wanted to say, too, that just struck me so much with, with this unifying. The Lord's just been laying on my heart because I'm like, Lord, how do we unify with, with other churches? There is such a divide now. I mean, basically, if when, when you're totally dividing into factions because there's a particular lyric that's three words in a worship song, and that if your church is going to continue to worship for that song, then we need to just separate from you. I mean, it's getting down to the ridiculous where people will separate, right? So I was like, Lord, so how, what does it look like then? We know unity isn't like-mindedness. It's not uniformity. And he said, what is the picture of me and my church? It's the bridegroom 
and the bride. And he showed me marriage. Marriage. And I was like, I just had to smile. Greg and I, we love each other. I think we have a great relationship. But let me tell you something. We are so fundamentally different on so many levels. It is just hilarious. We can go round and round like nobody's business. We have had to, we have had to learn how to unify in the midst of differences. Fundamentally different ways of thinking. I mean, when he's talking about the mountains of Colorado and I would used to talk about New York City, although God has pretty much crushed that down to shattering all my dreams. Sadly, <laughs> what's happened to New York. I'm like, oh, I can't talk about New York like I used to. But it, it just, it's just hilarious, you know. I, I'm, I'm, we're just different, and yet we're so unified. And it takes, really, what has drawn us closer than anything else is our love for the Lord. As we love and are unified with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in Him is so attractive to me. The Holy Spirit in me is so attractive to Him because the rest of it, will fade away. Let me just tell you. Things change. People age. Things slow down. It, it's just, okay, do I have to say more? There is, there, and I'm talking about our abilities to have energy and, and go on vacations and, you know, enjoy activities or play tennis together, you know, like different ways you bond together. Things change in this world, but the love can grow deeper and deeper and deeper. And so God just said, that's what it is. That's my bride. Love me with everything in you, and you will be unified like nobody's business. So that is how we will unify. If you are sold out for him, God will unify you with other people who are sold out. And he's been kind of trickling people in. It's been interesting how many people we've met, how many remnant people we've met that are struggling, maybe feeling alone, but who love God. God's wrecking their lives in a good way, and we're beginning to connect, and it's a beautiful thing. So don't get overwhelmed. Don't, don't think on the plane of human realm when it comes to, it'll be overwhelming how we could ever unify. Um, but we've got to really, really have, have the truth of Jesus. Not just live in what is true. But I'm feeling this, I'm experiencing this, but I'm being rejected. I don't have money. I don't feel well. This is going wrong. That may be true, but what is the truth? The truth is that I'm more than a conqueror. The truth is nothing can separate me from his love. The truth is I can do all things through Christ. The truth is what Greg said in the overall thing of this message today, which is that he will finish even something that hasn't yet been finished. Philippians 1, 6, he'll bring to a flourishing finish that which he has started. We've applied that on a real personal level at times, but it's the purpose of the entire globe and why we're here. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So walk in your authority this week. It's, it's really awesome. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you, God. This was a deep word. We desire nothing more than your truth. Thank you, Jesus, that you yourself are the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father but by you, Jesus, who was God, has always been God, and will always be God. But you so graciously limited yourself, inserted yourself into creation to pay the price and redeem us in a way we could not do. Oh God, what we have in you, we have not yet even begun to grasp. The authority that we walk in, the power, the Ephesians 3.20, God, let us meditate. 
Let us just ruminate on some of these truths that are so powerful, so profound, and yet even grasping a portion of it would be just absolutely transformational when we're weary about just, oh, you know, it's just hard to even get to church. Oh, we're so much greater. We have the power within us through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit of God to move mountains. And yet we get bogged down with all these little things. God, help us to see with your eyes the truth that overrules what may be true in our struggles. God, you are great. You are mighty. Lord, we love you. And we want this earth subdued and the territory taken from the enemy. God, we want this. We want your will, thy will to be done on earth as it has been planned in heaven. So God, do your will. Deliver us from evil. And we trust you for it, God. Here are we. Here am I. I will speak for me, God. Here am I. Send me. I have nothing to give you but my yes. I have no strength to offer. But God, thank you that you are the greatest strength in our weakness. We love you. We praise you. Strengthen us. Open our minds and eyes to grasp what was spoken this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen.